Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday. Some things that I want to talk about that are going around the world of Hollywood. The second Tomb Raider film with Alicia Vikander has finally found its director. The AFI has announced their top films and television shows of 2020. I'm going to break all that down and what it means for this award season. I'm also going to be getting into AMC might have just found its light at the end of the tunnel during the COVID-19 pandemic and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to start out on is a little bit of reflection. And today is Tuesday, January 26th. And today has a, a lot more weight to it than it normally would. And the reason for that is because it is officially the one year anniversary since the tragic death of Kobe Bryant and eight other victims of a plane crash that occurred on Sunday of this date a year ago in 2020. And it was one of those where were you moments you, you don't really have a lot of those when it comes to deaths sometimes you, you'll have a michael jackson a whitney houston a prince over the years where you kind of remember what you were doing when you heard the news of an iconic figure that was larger than life passing away and that was exactly what happened last year when the news broke of kobe bryant passing away and dying and i remember just looking on my phone i actually was at Hofstra, I was still a student at Hofstra last year and it was my last semester and it was my first day back from winter break and I was unpacking, kind of getting settled in once again and I was on my computer, kind of just getting myself situated and then all of a sudden I have a group text with a few friends of mine from home and one of them puts in the chat, you know, Kobe's passed away or they kind of were just saying this can't be real, this can't be happening. And then I go on Twitter and I'm just kind of scrolling through seeing what happens and TMZ is the first site or the first post that I see kind of confirming this and sometimes when it comes to TMZ I don't really I don't really take into account even though they are a credible very big news source when it comes to entertainment and, and pop culture gossip and that kind of news one thing they usually do get right is when somebody passes away when it's somebody big and I didn't really take into account of it I was waiting to hear from other sources I was waiting to hear from ESPN and and the NBA and and even uh, like actual news accounts like ABC NBC CNN I was waiting to hear from those reporters those news sites confirm what was happening and it, it did happen a few minutes later it was coming down the pipeline that Kobe Bryant died and then as the day went on you heard about the tragic passing of one of his daughters, Gianna Bryant, who was on there, and the the seven other victims that were on that that helicopter that was looking to go from Kobe Bryant's area in Los Angeles, which is not in the mountains, but it's a it's a little it's farther away from the city, and they basically Kobe would use that a lot when he was a player, so he would beat the traffic in Los Angeles and not have to wait hours and hours on the freeway for in Los Angeles. So because, you know, he's Kobe Bryant, he was able to afford that and and was able to was able to do that and unfortunately, it seemed like there was it, it was a, a very the weather wasn't the right the, the right place and and it wasn't good flying conditions, but they went anyway and it just was a very tragic passing and it was something where it was so freakish because just if you follow the sports world, just a few days prior to that LeBron James surpassed I believe it was Kobe in points I believe that was a record that LeBron James passed and Kobe Bryant was in attendance and so people were talking about Kobe it wasn't like Kobe was talked about in the past tense or nobody heard about Kobe it was 24 hours ago before his death people were talking about him in such a positive way and how this was like a passing of the mantle two greats kind of seeing eye to eye with one another it was a beautiful thing and then 24 hours later it the the tragedy hits and it's just so sudden and I think that day a lot of people kind of were taken aback by it obviously and I think the that death and the passing of Kobe who's such a again a legend an icon not just in California or the the city of Los Angeles but all around the world and you saw that the world grieve for the for the week that the first week of Kobe Bryant's death that 
It was just, it was such a hit and a gut punch to the world. And it kind of showed the influence that Kobe had on so many different people and how much of an icon he really was. And I just, I, I think it, it made people really reflect on their own lives and, and just being with the people you love, not taking anything for granted because, you know, Kobe, it wasn't like he was sick or it was that, that he was dying or anything. It just, it was a freak accident. They were going about their days like anybody else, going to a basketball tournament, looking forward to the next thing. And it just so happens that it just didn't go that way and it ended in tragedy. And I just think on that day, in that week, people were just kind of looking back on their own lives, looking at what they would take for granted and seeing how kind of Kobe lived out his life. He didn't take anything for granted. And I think if anything, when we look back on this day, January 26, whether it's the the five-year anniversary of, of, of the tragedy or 10 years, 20 years, you can look back on this day in reflection and think about yourself and think about what what's going on in your life and kind of put take take a little bit of a backseat a little bit and reassess things in your life and I think that's what January 26 is going to be for a lot of people and also remembering the legend that was Kobe and Gian and the potential that she had as a basketball player and of course remembering the other seven lives and how they were going to just going about their day and tragedy struck for them a whole family's gone in a blink of an eye and it was just so sad, so sudden. And also that day, I remember, was the Grammy Awards and the fact that the way that I believe it was Jennifer Hudson or no, 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 it was um, it was Alicia Keys, I believe, that was hosting that Grammy Awards last year and just the way that they were able to confronted head on with such grace and and dignity and the fact that they were in Staples Center when it happened and the award ceremony was going on there they just did it in such a beautiful way especially for the fact that it just happened all of a sudden they knew that they would have to address it address it it was just so beautifully well done and the fact that you had the Super Bowl and then you had the you had the Super Bowl and then you had the Oscars literally like a week or two after that the death and the way that the Oscars honored Kobe, the fact that he was an Academy Award winner for best short film or best animated short film. And again, it was just, it really kind of showed the impact that he had, not just on the sports world, but again, the world in general. And he touched the pop culture world, movies, television, books, art. He was just such a savant on everything. And I think people will want to have the drive that Kobe did and that you can do anything you set your mind to. You don't have to be the most talented person in the world. And he was gifted at basketball. He had the talents for that. But again, to kind of take on these other business ventures and have that Mamba mentality, which has kind of taken on its own thing since Kobe passed away, uh, is is just remarkable. And again, I think it's some something that he will be missed for. He will always have a place, I know, in my heart and, and other people's hearts. And again, I think it's just one of those days where you just reflect on where you were, what you were doing, and dropping everything and just kind of waiting to see if the tragedy did happen. And it's a day that I'll, it will always live with me. And it was kind of like one of those out-of-body experiences of just a world grieved that day. Everyone was grieving that day. And you just felt like you were part of something bigger and not just alone in your own grieving. So, again, the, the one-year anniversary of Kobe Bryant, Gianna Bryant, and seven others perishing at the hands of an accident. And, again, they will be missed. They will be remembered for forever on this day. And I think this isn't just something where we'll celebrate the one-year anniversary, the five-year, the ten-year. It'll be something that we celebrate every single year, the life and legacy of Kobe Bryant and remembering the tragedy, but also, again, remembering the good things and the things that Kobe left behind for people to strive to be better. So, again, it's it's a sad tragedy, and just, again, you look on a day like this with positivity in the sense that you remember the man, you remember the legend, and what he imposed on people that they can carry with them for the rest of their lives. So, the one-year anniversary, guys, of the death of Kobe Bryant, what, did, what were you doing on the 
day of, of, of the passing and then the shocking sad news of Kobe's passing with those eight other victims of that tragic again accident that happened on that day I want to know your thoughts where you were what did Kobe mean to you what do you think of the mama mentality how do you use the mama mentality let me know what you think and leave your thoughts I'd love to know what you guys think so moving on away from that, and I want to talk about some some happy news, some some Hollywood news that is going on around the world of Hollywood. And I want to start off by talking about the newly released trailer for the latest Disney animated film, Raya and the Last Dragon. And I was very impressed when the teaser trailer came out a few months ago, back in 2020. I heard a lot about this film. I heard about it when it was announced at D23 in 2019. I was looking forward to it and then the teaser trailer came about and I was really kind of blown away by, by what I saw. The animation was gorgeous. The really the fight choreography stood out to me the most and it th- this trailer the trailer that came out did a great job of doing what a teaser trailer does. It teases what's to come. It gets you just it gives you a little hint of what you're going to get and hooks you and says look forward to this movie and that's exactly what that trailer did. It kind of it hooked me and it elevated my anticipation for that film a lot and, and kind of made it really anticipated on my list for when it was going to come out and so I was really looking forward to seeing what they were going to do with their first full trailer the first trailer of kind of being over two minutes giving me more of the plot more of the the world the characters who's going to be involved on this journey and that's exactly what this trailer did it gave us kind of more about the backstory of of Raya is trying to find this dragon who's going to bring peace to her kingdom unite the tribes that are very divided against one another and she goes to find this dragon to find out that she's not this dragon isn't the end-all be-all she's not the 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 savior i guess that she was predicting it's more of a of, of a reclusive dragon somebody who's not sure of themselves and just trying to be their own being really and it's played really well at least from the trailer by aquafina and what also really kind of was interesting for, for me about this trailer was the fact that we got introduced to the supporting cast that's going to be in this film with Raya. And I love in the beginning of this trailer how you're introduced to this bandit of, of thieves that are trying to slickly steal some things from Raya. And it's all led by this little kid, this little baby. And it's so cute. And the way that they're able to kind of incorporate all these different characters together, it seems like they have really fun chemistry even though it is animation the animation itself looks gorgeous and incredible and I'm really looking forward to this film and and what this film has to bring and it's I'm going to be very interested to see if people decide to go to the theaters to see this film or if they're going to go and watch this like they did Mulan on Disney Plus with Premiere Access where you have to pay an additional $30 to watch the film but I really did enjoy what I saw with this trailer I love the, the fight choreography stood out to me the most again for an animated film the fight choreography feels like it's live action it's, it's so fluid and seamless and it looks so intense and Raya also seems like a really interesting warrior that I want to learn a lot more about so the marketing campaign so far for Raya and the Last Dragon did a really really good job so far really has impressed me I'm looking forward to this film coming out on March 5th the animation looks gorgeous and this could potentially be another hit for Walt Disney Animation after they've had a slew of other additional hits on their hands from Frozen 2 to Frozen, obviously, to, to Wrecked Ralph, Zootopia. They just have been having a great hit after great hit in the last few years, and I'm really excited to see them kind of go down more original films now and kind of get more of an idea of more representation and also more just original new ideas like what Pixar is doing, and I think we're going to get that in the next few years, and Raya seems like it's going down that right path and for Kelly Marie Tran I'm so happy for her that she gets to perform this role she gets to be the voice actor kind of like everything after everything she's been through with Star Wars and to kind of get a Disney property that fits her it's very authentic for her I love that she gets to perform in this sandbox and do it alongside Aquafina. I think this is going to be a great film for both kids and adults as well I think that there's going to be something for everybody as is the usually the case with a lot of Disney films that Disney really wants to do 
and tries to do with a lot of their films. So I'm really looking forward to this movie trailers both trailers get a thumbs up from me i'm really looking forward to this and i'm sure we'll get a television spot whether it's a super bowl spot or something else this is only the beginning of the, i think the final marketing push for this film and this again this film's coming out on march 5th so still got a little over a month away for this movie but it's fast and furious march will come up before we know it and i think this is going to be one of the first big films that is coming out this year so far so i'm really looking forward to seeing where this film is going to go and kind of for disney to start the year out with the bang hopefully with the big hit with raya and the last dragon what did you guys think about this film or the trailer for this film are you excited about it are you still in where you were before or are you a little bit more down on this film than you were initially let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts now moving on to some directing news that came out last night according to deadline it has been announced that misha green who is the showrunner for the hit hbo show last year lovecraft country will be directing the sequel in the tomb raider franchise alicia vikander will be returning to play laura croft according to the article and I think I remember hearing an announcement that they found a director last year or maybe a year and a half ago, but I guess there was scheduling issues or there was a conflict and that director dropped out and they finally have a brand new director. And I'm excited for Misha Green to take on this role because I think if you've watched Lovecraft Country, she did a great job of being able to blend social commentary with, about race and sex with horror and action at the same exact time and did it in, in a very beautiful blend that I think can translate over really well for a Tomb Raider film. Now, whether this film is going to have a lot of social commentary or not, I can definitely see Misha Green going in that direction with someone of the caliber of Alicia Vikander. And I can see her just translating and doing a great action film, period. I think for somebody like Laura Croft, she has been very underwhelmed when it comes to her live action adaptations. I know people like the Angelina Jolie movies and they're okay. They, they do the job. But I think there's more potential for Laura Croft in live action. And I think even though it wasn't great, but I think the Tomb Raider film in 2018 did a nice job of teasing what we could be getting in the future with a really good director with the right script. And you have, the again, the actress to do it. I think Tomb Raider could be something very, very good. And hopefully that's what we're going to get with this film. And I love the fact that we're getting more voices. We're getting new voices to be brought into this industry. And I think the fact that a woman is directing a a strong female character in Laura Croft, I think will be a new interesting take that we haven't seen before and it makes sense. And I'm excited to see what this translates to. And the next thing I wanna know is what's the story gonna be? Because if you've watched the, the Tomb Raider film in 2018, you know at the end, there's definitely a door open for a, a story for the sequel. So where does that go from here? And hopefully we get this film in the next few years. But for, as for the director, I love, I love this. Congratulations to Misha Green. She deserves this opportunity. She did a great job with Lovecraft Country. She knows how to handle a big franchises with the big names. She's worked with the likes of Jordan Peele and J.J. Abrams on Lovecraft Country since their EP is on that on that television show. So she she's probably gotten advice for them on two people that have worked with franchises before. And for somebody like Jordan Peele, who is a great original mind, and for J.J. Abrams to kind of come in and have that Hollywood big blockbuster mentality for working on films like Star Trek, Mission Impossible, and Star Wars, that I think that's a great blend of advice to have if she does go to them for that advice so i think she she's going to be able to handle this and we'll see what she does with directing because even though she was a showrunner on lovecraft country doesn't mean that she directed a whole lot of the episodes but but i believe she, she did direct a lot of the episodes on lovecraft country so again she has the idea of what it takes to work on this on a big budgeted project like this. So I'm really excited to see what she does, how she handles this in the terms of a big blockbuster on this level, but I have no doubt that she's going to crush it. Again, she has a great leading actress to kind of bounce ideas off of Lean On a little bit, and hopefully we get an elevated film because, again, 
the the first Lara Croft or the first Tomb Raider film was okay, but it left a lot to be desired. And I think Misha Green will be able to kind of pull that desirable element out and put it into the sequel. So what do you guys think about the Tomb Raider film finding a brand new director in Misha Green? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. I'd love to know what you guys think about it. Now we're going to be moving on to some award season news that is, again, we're, we're starting to get into the thick of it now. From really kind of this point on, we're going to get a lot more, I'm going to be talking a lot more about award season as the Golden Globe nominations are going to be coming in the next week or so. There's going to be the SAG nominations. The Golden Globes are going to be here in about a month or so. And the Oscar nominations are going to be coming on the next month or so. There's a lot to be had with award season now. Now. We're kind of putting the gears in motion. The gears are, are revving up now, and they're moving. Soon it'll be at a lightning pace for this award season. As we, I think we kind of have a majority of the players in motion now. And with the American Film Institute announcing their winners, I think that's going to be one of the first major indications of where we're going to see this award season finally take shape. Because at the, at the first half of, uh, or really the first half of this award season, between September to December, usually that'll be the entire award season gambit, and we'll have an idea of where this award this award season is heading. But because of COVID nineteen, it's been it's been extended by a few months. So there's a lot of studios have kind of been putting their films down and extending the window and taking it to the the advantage of the the extended eligibility window. So for films that maybe were coming out in November, December, sometimes when those films are the ones that pick up the most steam, for films that come out in January and February, those are the films it seems like right now that are going to be revving up their engines and, and getting a lot of the buzz right now. And it seems like we've kind of gotten that's a majority of the second batch of films that'll be staking their claims for this award season. And it seems like with the uh, with the AFI announcing their top 10 films of 2020, again, it's, it's a good indication of what could be in play, but doesn't paint the whole picture but it gives us a good sense a good feeling for what we could be seeing a lot of names of in the next few months so the american film institute announced their top films of the year along with their top television shows so i'm going to be running down the list and i'll start out with tv first just to get it out of the way and the best film or the best television shows according to afi were better call saul the hit netflix show bridgerton the crown the Good Lord Bird, Lovecraft Country, which we just talked about with Misha Green, The Mandalorian from Disney+, Plus, Mrs. America, and The Queen's Gambit, along with Ted Lasso from Apple TV+, and the hit Netflix limited series Unorthodox. So for the TV shows, again, it, that's really more for some Emmy consideration, but I also think that when it comes to Golden Globes, for the SAGs, these are some of the films or television shows that we're going to be hearing a lot more of. Uh, the Queen's Gambit, I think, is one that we're going to hear a lot more for Emmy season. Better Call Saul probably as well. But for Lovecraft Country, Mrs. America, that's a, a holdover from last Emmy season. For Ted Lasso, I, I'm really happy to see these shows get the recognition that they deserve. And for all these shows, a lot of them are great. I haven't seen all of them, but... I've heard really good things about Bridgerton. That show has kind of taken lightning in a bottle from Netflix, the first Shonda Rhimes produced television show from Netflix from a lucrative deal with the streaming service. And the first one out of the gate is a big hit for them. So it showcases why Netflix makes the deals that they do. But for the television shows, I'm really happy for a lot of them. Again, Queen's Gambit, that's a show that we're going to be hearing a lot about when it comes to Emmy season. So we'll see where these television shows go but congratulations to all of them for landing on this prestigious list and now to move over to the film side where again i'll be talking a lot more about the oscar implications that come with these films so just to run down the entire list of films that were selected for the best of 2020 it starts with the five bloods judas and the black messiah ma rainey's black bottom mank Minari, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Soul, Sound of Metal, 
and The Trial of the Chicago 7. And all those films rightfully deserve to be on that list. And there was a, a an AFI specialty award that's given out as well. And last year, Parasite won that award. And this year, it goes to the hit Disney Plus sh- or movie that came out in the summer of 2020 was Hamilton. So Hamilton gets the specialty award at the AFI, which I think it deserves. I'm happy for it. It definitely, if you want to give Hamilton recognition, that's the place that it should get recognition. And I'm really happy for it. But when it comes to the film category and what it means for the Oscar race at hand, last year, the AFI predicted around seven out of the nine eventual Oscar nominated films on Best Picture. And I think when you look at this list, it... I definitely can see a lot of performers on this list being nominated. So the AFI usually gives a good indication. Sometimes they'll get a majority of the films that were nominated for Best Picture. Sometimes they would be in the minority. And the last few years, they've pretty much been accurate albeit with the few films that haven't made the best picture list and being kind of accurate in in the nominations that will come about for the Oscars. And I think with this list, honestly... All, all, all of these movies, at least 10 of them, have a shot to be a Best Picture contender. There are a few that were omitted, and the three that come to mind for me were Promising Young Woman, which has been getting a lot of buzz, especially since it's a VOD release a few weeks ago, and the fact that it's been winning a lot of critics' awards. News of the World, which has been an Oscar contender as well. It's got the the check boxes to mark off when it comes to an Oscar-worthy caliber film. And The Father, which I've been getting a lot of buzz for as well with Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman. So those are the three that I could definitely see maybe replacing some of these films. But a lot of them, I think, are the top contenders for Best Picture. I think The Five Bloods, at one point, I would have said is, is, a, is a fringe contender. It's one that... I would put in my bottom half of getting nominated, but I think it's going to stick in the top five. I think it'll hover around four or five in the middle of the pack and being nominated for Best Picture. The fact that it's had more buzz come out about it and be able to sustain a level amount of of award season buzz since its release last summer, I think it showcases how people feel about this film. And I think especially for the fact that it's Spike Lee, it speaks to the social times that we're in right now, especially for a film that takes place in the Vietnam War. It's a Chadwick Boseman film. So I think there's a lot of things working towards its favor of being nominated for a Best Picture nomination. I think Judas and the Black Messiah, when we look at the second batch of Oscar contenders that came out between January and and February when a lot of them will be released, I think Judas and the Black Messiah has the best chance of really striking, making a change in this award season and maybe changing a lot of people's predictions on what will come out victorious on Oscar night. So I think Judas and the Black Messiah is going to be here to stay. I would put it in my lower half of my top five of top 10 films I could get nominated for Best Picture, but it's definitely, I think, safely in contention to be to get a nomination. Same thing with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I think the fact that it's riding on that wave of 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 Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, those two are going to get an Oscar nominations, I believe, as well. So I believe Ma Rainey is going to stay in the conversation. Mank has been fading a little bit. Mank is the one that I think could fade from this conversation, but I think if it stays in top 10 lists like this, and it gets nominated for the Golden Globes, it gets nominated for, I don't know, maybe not the SAG, but if it gets nominated for a PGA, I think Mank has a chance to kind of stay in position. Now, do I think it's a front runner to win? I don't think so. I think the buzz has been slowly fading from this film. And again, when we talk about that first batch of films that came out between October and December, there we thought a few films would fade away from the conversation. And even though I think Mank could rack up some nominations and some below-the-line wins on Oscar night, I think when it comes to being a film that people thought could have been a front-runner, I think that status has kind of been taken away from Mank. But I think it's definitely still a contender. And the same thing I would say for Sound of Metal. I, I don't know if Sound of Metal 
can crack the top 10. It would be in my, it would be like my, between my nine and my 11, or like my, my, my 11 through 13. It would be within like my bottom half because I just think kind of like what Ma Rainey and the five bullets can do. I think Sound of Metal could hang on because of the acclaim that Riz Ahmed's getting. Because I do think that he is in the top three of getting a nomination for Best Actor. I think he's been getting a lot of buzz. He's been winning a lot of critic circles. And he's been winning a lot of the kind of independent awards that we see early on in award season. So I definitely think that he is going to get a nomination and I think that could be enough for maybe Sound of Metal to ride the coattails of getting a Best Picture nom but I would maybe edge it out for something like A Promising Young Woman or A Father or News of the World and that would kind of be where it's fighting for one of those last few spots in Best Picture but I think Nomadland obviously that seems like the front runner to at least get the nomination for a lot of people's number one. One Night Miami I think has been riding an incredible wave and will be nominated same thing, I think Regina King could get a nomination as well. Soul is also a big question mark when it comes to this list that I could definitely see it sustaining itself and I think it should get an, a, a Best Picture nomination. I think the fact that you have Peter Docter, who his last two films between Up and Inside Out have garnered a lot of critical acclaim and have been in that conversation for a Best Picture nomination. Up was one of the ones to do it as as well. And I believe Inside Out also garnered a Best Picture nomination, if I'm not mistaken. I'm just going to double check on that really, 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 really quick. Let's see here. Yeah, Inside Out was nominated for obviously one Best Animated Feature. And and it was not nominated for Best Picture, but I do remember it was in contention for that spot. But obviously, Up was nominated for Best Animated Feature, and that was directed by Pete Docter. Some people thought Inside Out could have been nominated as well, and it won the Best Animated Feature. So I think Soul has a shot of, of being on that list, and I think it's earned enough acclaim, enough buzz right now, where it could find itself in that bottom five of the Best Picture race. So again, I could see this really being the list that we get on nomination morning. But I, again, I think the ones that could be substituted out, I think I think Mank could be substituted out potentially, but I think that's a little bit more of a fairy tale if it's not in. Sound of Metal, I think, could be one that potentially is out of this list, and the same thing with Soul. But I think The Five Bloods, Judas and the Black Messiah, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, I'm going to put on there, Minari, Nomadland, One Night in Miami, and The Trial of the Chicago 7, those are going to be at least seven to eight of the Best Picture nominations, I believe. Again, maybe that'll change. Maybe Malcolm and Marie gets in here and surprises some people. Maybe News of the World, Promising Young Woman take over, and they're the ones that take some of these spots as well. But I think these are the films that you're going to be hearing a lot about in the next few months. And I think this just kind of solidifies this is the direction that a lot of people are looking towards, and we'll see what happens. Again, Golden Globes, even though I don't take into account the winners per se, I think, again, when it comes to getting a temperature, a feel for the room, the Hollywood Forum Press does a good job of doing that. And again, it's going to come down to the Guild Awards and where those go and how people play those out. Those are going to be, I think, especially this season. They're usually critical all season for every season, but for, especially for this COVID season where there's so much time between these films that one of them could just lose a lot of buzz while another one gains a lot of buzz, that I think those Guild Awards are going to be a very vital piece this season of where this awards race is going to go because I, I really don't think there is a locked category maybe you could put in best director as a lock but i don't think best actor is even a lock i thought at one point chadwick boson was going to run away with the win but riz ahmed has kind of taken a little bit of that buzz as well delroy lindo has taken a little bit of that buzz so it's, it's going to be an up and down season and the guilds are going to be as important as ever to determining what could come out victorious on oscar night so what do you guys think about this list of the american film institute awards for best films of 2020 and best television shows of 2020 as well let me know what you think 
and leave your thoughts below. Now, I want to move on to the DC Universe. And the big thing that's coming out of the DC Universe now that Wonder Woman 1984 is off of HBO Max and only in theaters now, the buzz is kind of faded away from that film after spending some time on, on streaming services and in people's minds. But now the next thing that I think a lot of people are looking forward to is the Snyder Cut, Zack Snyder's version of Justice League. And this has been a very contentious topic for a lot of people over the last year or so and even the last few years. And with the the film or limited series, whatever this is going to be with this project, there's been a lot of interest and in what really happened behind the scenes because the general story for how the Snyder Cut came about to be was the fact that in 2017, Zach unfortunately had a tragic loss in his family and he had to step away from the Snyder Cut or the Justice League and attend to his family and because of that, Warner Brothers was looking to kind of move away from Zack Snyder after the reception it got for Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice and unfortunately it seems like Warner Brothers capitalized on this tragedy that Zack Snyder had and basically ushered him out and brought in Josh Whedon to do reshoots on what would become now the theatrical cut of Justice League that didn't get great acclaim did not do well at the box office and basically had DC at Warner Brothers doing a lot of soul searching on what they wanted this franchise to be down the road and over the last few years has been clamoring from a fan base about releasing the Snyder Cut and uh, during this entire campaign donating to suicide prevention and doing things for a good cause and trying to get Zack Snyder's version of this project out into the world and after many many years of campaigning wanting to see it happen in May of last year Zack Snyder announced that he is putting the final touches on his version of Justice League and there's been a lot of rumors and reports about what really happened and, and how did how did we get to this point? And there is a book coming out by Sean O'Connell, who works for Cinema Blend, talking about the movement of the Snyder Cut, how it really came to be about, what it took to get to make this happen, and also kind of talking about the, the inception point of it all, which happened between 2016, 2017, during the production of Justice League, and why Zack really ultimately left. And Zack Snyder talked to Sean O'Connell for his release, the Snyder Cut book. And he kind of talks about a lot of it was true, the fact that he left because of the death in his family, but there was more to it than just that for him on a personal level. And this is what he had to say in regards to leaving the Snyder Cut all those years ago, or the, or Justice League, I should say, all those years ago. I was just kind of done with it. I was in this place of knowing my family needs me more than this BS. I just need to honor them and do the best I can to heal that world. I had no energy to fight the studio and fight for the movie, literally zero energy for that. I really think that's the main thing. I think there's a difference, there's a different world where I stayed and kind of tried and I'm sure I could have because every movie is a fight, right? I, I was used to that but I just did not have the energy. There was no fight in me. I had been beaten by what was going on in my life and I just didn't want to. I didn't care to. That was kind of where I was. And that kind of sums up, I think, basically really what happened. And and, and for people that are gonna jump on the wagon of, oh, the studio fought with him on this film. They didn't let him do what he wanted to do. Well, when you look at studio politics, when you look at the politics of Hollywood, when you work on big budgeted films, studios have a say in what happens in the film. It's not just the director does his thing and that's it. It's an agreement. It's a dance that you have of you get some of your input and your vision in and the studio has a say in it as well because it's their IP, it's their franchise and they paid the money to own it. So they're going to want to have a say in the making of those movies. So that makes a whole lot of sense. But I think for Zack Snyder, who does this so much, is that whenever he comes out with the film, usually the film that comes out theatrically isn't the film he intended to actually make. We, we've seen it in multiple movies. We saw it a few years ago or way back when with Watchmen, where he came out with a theatrical release, didn't get the best reviews, but then he came out with a director's cut and people loved it. Same thing with BVS, where the theatrical cut of BVS was not that good, but when you watch the full director's cut of what he wanted to 
to do with a three plus hour movie. It's not a great film, but it's a lot better than what I saw back in March in 2016 in the theaters. So it seems like he's always having these battles with the studios. It seems like they're contentious, but they're friendly arguments of what to put and not put in in the film. And I guess for Zach, because of everything that happened, it just he was so focused on everything going on with his family. He just he didn't have the energy to devote to fighting for that for that cut of the of what he's going to do with Justice League. And you can understand that. I mean, everyone's human in that sense. And again, I can't even imagine losing someone like that in that way. And for Zach to go through what he went through all those years, I think it's just so sad and tragic. And I, I think if anything, it just it amplifies the importance of what he's doing the fact that he never got the chance to finish what he did and and it's for multitude of reasons and the fact that he's now able to finish his cut whether you agree with it or disagree with it i think is is an incredible story and i think is aspiring for all directors in any medium whatsoever in any artist to kind of do what you want to do and being able to to pick yourself back up again and finishing what you did no matter what life throws your way and i i think for zach that is the the feat and the accomplishment that he will be able to do with this cut of justice league no, no, no matter if it's awful or maybe slightly better but not as good as what came out in 2017 but i think just the achievement of what he was able to do is more than enough for me personally of finishing this off so for him to kind of reopen these old wounds and to go through this again and finish this off i commend him for it and i'm really excited to see what this version of justice league is going to be and and whether he gets to finish out his vision of what he wanted this five story or five film art to be whether he does that in live action or comic book form or whether he just says this was it i want it i've 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 moved on from it i feel at peace with it and i want to move on whatever he decides to do i think people will be happy with it and I just think the fact that he was able to do this, finish it, is is exciting. And, and I can't wait to see another trailer for this. I can't wait to hopefully we get a press tour to hear more from Zach. And he's been promoting this thing by himself, really, for the last few months, going on people's YouTube sites, doing these hour-long interviews, half-hour interviews, talking to people on social media, just kind of giving tidbits and keeping the buzz alive for people that are interested in this. And the fact that he has a passion for it still. And this is isn't like he's finishing it but not talking about it but yeah i'll just finish it he still has a passion for it he still talks about these characters like he's just working on them for the first time like he owns them and he loves them endearly and wants to see this do really really well the fact that he's been given this opportunity so again this is a very contentious story topic that a lot of people get into and there's a bunch of different sides to the argument but i think overall i think the one thing that everyone can agree upon is the fact that he was given this opportunity the fact that what he went through he's able to come out and finish this off what no matter what happens next i think it is a big story and is can should be a big inspiration for a lot of filmmakers out there in the whatever visual medium that they are working on or whatever medium of art that they're working on should be inspired by what Zack Snyder is doing with this cut whatever it is whether it's a four episode limited series whether it's a four hour movie or both whatever it is I just think the actual movement by fans and for the director to do this and to kind of see the film community and the director kind of come together like this and have this be a fan movement like none other before is just absolutely incredible. And I can't wait to pick up the book that talks about this, that that has Zach talking about this movement, talking about what he went through behind the scenes because he can't vouch for what happened with the with Josh Whedon, even though Ray Fisher has been coming out and making accusations about that, I don't think this book is going to go into it. But we could get more behind the scenes stuff of what what Zach went through with the studio and and him going through his journey and the fans going through their their journey of being attached to this product that Zach put out there and want to see complete in some way, shape, or form. So again, I just think there's a lot of cool storylines to look forward to with this, no matter what. And again, you can make arguments for both sides, but I think overall, the fact that this was a movement by the fans, 
The fact that the director wants to finish this off, I think is absolutely incredible. And again, I can't wait to see what this is really going to be about. So what do you guys think about it? Or do you like what Zack Snyder is doing? What do you think about the, the quotes that he said about this film and about what he really went through with with this film? and what he went through in his journey over the last few years. Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. I'd love to know what you think about it. And finally, the last thing that I want to talk about on this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast today is ending it off with a very positive topic in a in a storyline that has had a lot of ups and downs and a lot of dark moments, but it seems like light is at the end of the tunnel for a lot of AMC loyalists of AMC theaters. According to AMC yesterday and AMC CEO Adam Aaron, it seems like AMC has raised around $917 million over the last few months and has over a billion dollars in liquidity that it seems like AMC, which a few a month ago, according to the CEO, was in huge risk of going bankrupt, is clear of being in any kind of bankruptcy situations for the next few months. It seems like if everything goes right with the pandemic, we'll not have to worry about getting into bankruptcy and really kind of is is looking on, on finishing this fight in an incredible way for AMC theaters, which is the biggest theater chain in the world. And for them to kind of come out with this statement, it's absolutely incredible. Now, I'm not going to get into the whole works of the economic instances of this whole thing, but overall, really, this is a big positive story to come out for theaters. This is really big because, again, for a lot of theaters, both independent cinemas, uh, smaller owned business cinemas, and, and to the big ones, a lot of them have been worried about, are there going to be any fil- cinemas that, that declare bankruptcy? And and unfortunately, some smaller ones have had to do that. But when it comes to the bigger theater chains like Regal and then AMC, were they going to have enough money to, to survive and not have somebody take control of them or buy them out? And the only one that seemed to have any kind of, uh, of remote work or any kind of remote stability was Cineworld. And, but everything else was kind of in in flux for Regal, for AMC. What was going to happen? It, it, it was anybody's guess. So the fact that AMC was able to, at least right now, come out of this clean is extraordinary. And again, it's going to come down to the fact that hopefully, it sounds like from what Adam Aaron is saying, is that hopefully by the second half of the year, there's a, enough vaccines out there that there's herd immunity and we can slowly open the theaters back up again for the second half of 2021. And and I think that is their goal right now is that, and, and even Adam Aaron says it, is look, we knew that the first half of the year was going to be a wash probably because of COVID-19 still running around, not enough vaccines to go around. So the fact that they're looking at 20, the second half of 2021 towards the end of the summer into the fall, I think that's where they're looking at is a lot of positive news. And it seems like that's where a lot of CDC officials, health officials are looking at. Hopefully the light at the end of the tunnel isn't in the middle of the summer, but at the end of the summer where we can enjoy the full time and going back to theaters and going back to sporting arenas and going to some kind of normalcy in the next few months, hopefully. So I think this is, if you're looking for positivity and I and to hear this to start off the week was absolutely incredible. It put a smile to my face, and I know, and I sent this link to a lot of people that go to AMC theaters that were wondering what's going to happen to AMC theaters. And a friend of mine that I texted, he sent me back immediately three words: "Oh, thank God!" Because again, for I think AMC being the the big theater chain that has so much at has so much at stake that if they went under, who's to say that any of these other chains are going to go under? So I think the fact that they were able to raise enough money to keep themselves afloat for the next few months and not be in any danger of bankruptcy after literally a month, month and a half ago, saying we if if theaters don't open back up again or if we don't have movies coming out in the first few months of 2021, we could go bankrupt is extraordinary. So I give it up to AMC. I, I hope that we can get to the second half of 2021 with positive outlook and be excited for what's to come in the next few years. And according to a lot of analysts are saying that there could be a box office rebound fully back to what we got in 2019, 2018 by 2023 
which makes a whole lot of sense because again, we're probably going to get the box office ramping back up again the second half of this year. And then the full on recovery is going to be in, in 2022 of, of a full calendar year of having films open up in the first half of the year and the second half and just ramping it back up again. So it's going to be, it's not, it's exciting news to look forward to. It's not exciting news in, in right now, but for the long haul, this is, this is great, great news for the theater industry right now and the kind of news that they were looking for and they needed right now. And I think we're going to get a lot more positive outlook in the next few months with everything going on with the pandemic. So hopefully sunshine is upon us again in the next few months. And hopefully this news is just the start of that. So I wanted to end the podcast on some positive news. And with that out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and also you can check me out on YouTube at the Sam Bissell Podcast. I have a lot of great interviews from directors and actors, and I hope to have a whole lot more on there in the coming weeks and months to come. But also, don't just check me out. Also check out everything that's going on on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. They have a lot of great shows that are coming out there, such as You Mad Bro? It's the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. You can also check out Goal Driven Professionals. It's geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. You can also check out The Daily Grind. It's a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website, ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, after checking out the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, make sure you come and check me out on social media. And if you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And you can also find me on Facebook at Sam Bissell. You can also find me on Facebook at The Sam Bissell Podcast. So guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.